Jai Meher Baba. In our podcast, Meeting Meher Baba, we feature those who met Avtar Meher Baba, spent time with him and shared glimpses of his life, work and teachings. My name is Noshirwan Anzar and I invite you to keep visiting the Beloved Archives website to tune in to recordings from a collection preserved for over 50 years. If you wish to receive updates of upcoming podcasts, please sign up for our newsletter. We offer these podcasts freely and your support really makes a difference. To donate, please visit our website www.belovedarchives.org We are interviewing Rano Gailey. Rano, you have been in Mayor Baba's Monday for over 37 years. How do you feel as being the only American in a predominantly Indian atmosphere? In the sense that all the Monday who live with you are Indian. Actually, I don't really feel anything on the subject. Having been with Baba during the period when other Westerners were there, and then adapting myself to the ways of ashram life, it didn't make any particular difference in my way of life or feeling when I continued to be alone among Easterners. During uh, your stay, with the Mandalay, what did Baba expect of you in relation to the other Indian Mandalay members? I should get along with them to the best of my ability. What I meant was, uh, did Baba um, expect a special kind of behavior or um, we were all together uh, as one group, even when I was the only Westerner there. Did, it any, did you feel at any time uh, that Baba and the other Manli, uh, or, you, or perhaps you felt as being treated as somebody different? No, I didn't. Sometimes I used to miss out things because of the difficulty in language. But uh, I felt one of the group and one of the family there. For you... We should say feel, isn't it? I mean, we're still there. Yes, that's right. For you, what is the conception of the word Mandli? In relation to Baba? Well, I just go back to what Baba himself said, that... uh, those who really and truly love me are my mandali. So, just because one is in Baba's close proximity, uh, I don't see why the word mandali should apply to those who were near Baba any more than to those who are far away from Baba. Because it is their love that counts, what brings them close to Baba, to be known and considered mandali. As such, uh there was something special expected of the Mandli. Well, uh, as far as those that were in Baba's proximity, naturally, because implicit obedience was then expected of them. 
what are the other qualities that are expected of the mandalin love and um, tolerance with others i don't <laughs> 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 kind of had to think about these things um then how, how would you differentiate uh, uh, your being with baba in his close proximity um in his closeness with say other followers disciples of baba who lived it say in india or in, in different parts of india or in the united states or england well i i don't really feel i can and should differentiate the thing is that uh, being near baba is to me is still a miracle and i wonder how baba kept me and has kept me here all the years but uh, that is what baba wished so i'm here um the men mandli had to go through physical rigors did you as a part of the women mandli have to go through any similar experiences of hard labor or work well i should say as far as hard travel when we were traveling in the in the blue bus during the 40s 39 38 39 40 uh we under underwent lots of hardship as far as travel was concerned and uh living conditions eating conditions but it was all part of being with baba to be accepted as such did you find it difficult to adapt yourself to these uh, uh to these hard conditions well it depends on one's mood if you were in the right mood you could take anything if you're out of mood then naturally one would grumble did you have occasion to grumble oh yes <laughs> <coughs> there were a number of westerners who came to baba to stay in 1937 some of them were sent back others stayed on we don't know what baba's purpose was in keeping those who did stay on what is your opinion i have no opinion in that respect i have no idea baba asked me to come back to india with him in 1937 when we were in ken so my life was already given to baba so the fact that i could come back and be with baba and serve him in india made me all the more happy but why certain ones have been sent back why certain ones have been kept by baba baba never gave any explanation and whatever baba did you would accept if baba said to me you have to pack now and go back to the west i would have i wouldn't say why how did your family feel about this and my family well my mother of course was here in india with me and was a close baba lover but uh, the rest of my family couldn't understand there was one question that came to my mind and it just slipped off suddenly while i was talking while i was in question 4 um trying to recollect it now I think you feel I should combine these two questions. Could you, during your stay with Baba over the years, could you relate incidents of love, obedience, and surrender 
or uh, and there are these two other questions could you narrate any incidents of your travels with Baba abroad in which you could portray aspects of Baba's life and work and there's any incidents of your ashram stay these three questions can be combined as one oh, well I couldn't I mean I never could uh, whatever I'd say might be uh, you know obedience or something like that but as far as uh, being able to explain any or give any incident to do with Papa's life and work I mean no, we'll, I don't even know what Papa's work is no we'll cut that out yeah. and no uh, uh, would you need time to think about obedience and uh, service or well, I mean, I can give a couple of, couple of stories. Okay. Um, the, the, no, just a moment. I, I just ask you the question. No, but I was just wanted to tell you mm. before you asked. The, I mean, one story I want to say, in fact, uh, two, would be that uh, whatever Baba tells you, even though it's sometimes a contradiction to what a prior mm. order was, it's always the last so you'll have a story to illustrate that yeah. with this introduction. In the Mandli, there were perhaps three factors, motivating factors, that predominated all other considerations, love, obedience, and selfless service. Could you, Rano, give instances of all three or any of them during your many years of stay and travels, both abroad and in India, as well as your ashram stay? Well, there's one incident that uh, I think portrays obedience. At the same time, it's also portrays that you have to whatever Baba asks of you you must do your utmost even though apparently in the end you seem to be failing you have done your utmost and when you have done your utmost then you give it over to Baba and Baba always takes care of things one incident was that we were traveling in India just a small group Baba with a few of the Mandli and Baba with only about four of the uh, women, three Eastern women and myself. And I was supposed to be looking after them. And at that particular time, we traveled in the ladies' compartment. And Baba had given orders that there should not be even a small boy in the compartment. He had, where Mary was concerned, relented a little bit now and then so that I mean if there was a small boy or child in the uh, compartment he wouldn't mind but this particular time my orders were very strict and uh, everything went very nicely for a while and then we arrived at the station and suddenly we were where were you traveling from and to would you remember I don't remember now but it was one of those short journeys that Baba would take including sort of sightseeing for us and uh, a bit of must work for Baba. And uh, we arrived at this station and suddenly we were deluged with a lot of Sindhi women and luggage and to top it all there was a boy, but not a small boy, a big boy. 
And I said, well, this won't do. So the women, of course, couldn't understand me, so I spoke to the father who spoke English. And I said, I assumed it was his son. I said, your son can't be here in the compartment. He says, uh, he said, uh, he has to be. And I said, he can't be. This is a ladies' compartment. We object to having him here. You have to take him with you. So altercation went on back and forth, back and forth, and time was running out. And I was thinking, Bob has given me this order, and I must carry it through. And in the end, every argument that I put forth got me nowhere. And there was nothing left to do but take the boy by the scruff of the neck and throw him out of the compartment. And I thought, oh my, if I do that, I'll bring the police on me and then make things difficult for Baba. This won't do. So I told Money, I said, you three stay in the uh, corner there. I'm going down to Baba's compartment. So I rushed down to Baba's compartment, told him all that's been happening. And I said, Baba, there's nothing left for me to do but take that boy by the scruff of the neck and throw him out. Shall I throw him out? <laughs> no, no, said Baba. <laughs> Don't throw him out. It's all right. Don't worry. You just go back now to the compartment. So I said, all right. I mean, after all, I handed it over to Baba. Practically, as I was getting back to the compartment, I saw all these people coming out, luggage, women, boy, and going in the opposite direction. And so I, when I climbed into the compartment, I said to Mani, what happened? She said, I don't know. They just all walked out. So I, as I say, that is an example of, of uh, you do your utmost, and Baba will always take care of things. But you have to do as yes. much as you can, obeying his instructions and orders. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> do you um, recollect any story of... Um then a story I can tell you about is, uh, you know, that apparently is contradictory to another one order has been given and this is contradictory to that order somehow you have to figure it out Baba at one time once in a while he given some of us orders not to touch money not to touch men and uh, then later on he would uh, you know that order would be cancelled but this particular time that order was on and we were again traveling someplace in India. But this time Baba was with the four of us in a compartment and the Mandali were further on in the train. And we arrived at a certain station and Baba said, you get down and quickly go and give this message to the Mandali and come back. The train won't be here very long. So I said, all right. And when I opened the door of the compartment, I saw this milling throng of men, nothing but men on this compartment, I mean on this uh, platform. And I was the only one that could go and give that message. So I could hardly say to Baba, well, Baba, you know, you said I'm supposed to not touch men. I I'll just have to use my own ingenuity because Baba's now giving me this order and I must obey it. So I got down from the compartment and I made myself as small as possible. And I wove my way in and out among these men, saying, Baba, 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 I'm not touching anybody. If they're touching me, it's not my fault. So I got to the Mandali, 
and I gave my message. And I came back the same way, saying the same thing, and uh, gave Baba the reply. I was pleased, and just after that, the train left. And automatically, I would naturally revert back to Baba's original order. This was something in between which Baba wanted me to do, and Baba always expected you to, to uh, obey the last order. This is going to upset a lot of people, including Irvin Luck. <laughs> obey Baba's last orders. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any other uh, aspect of Baba uh, that you might like to like? Um, well, all I know is that Baba used to remonstrate with us so often, especially when there would be uh, difficulties and bickerings going on in the ashram. Mm. And uh, Baba would say, you all love me. You would do anything for me. You would cut your right arm off. You would do this, you would do that. But these tiny, tiny little things that I ask of you, that you can't even do. And that used to make us feel very badly sometimes because it, it was silly things. For example? I can't actually think at the moment. Well, for instance, uh, not getting on with somebody when you've been told that you should get on with them. Just silly little things. Mm. I, especially, getting angry with people when I was packing the bus in the dark in the morning. You know, I'd, I'd let fly because they would put things in the way where I wanted to put the bags. And Baba would come along just at that point and tap me on the shoulder. Why are you getting angry? And I'd say, oh no. Each time, and then each time I'd say, well, next time it'll be different. And I will know what to do. But the next time would be so different that again I would blow my top. So during the, uh, during the Blue Bus tour, you did have to do a lot of handling of baggage and it was very strenuous because, you see, Baba always got us up and off by about four or five in the morning. That means we'd have to be up much long before that, and I would have to collect everybody's small bags. And uh, whoever would be driving the car, area to Duncan, they wouldn't let me turn on the lights because they said it used up the batteries. So I would have to memorize where everybody's bags went because they were all different sizes so certain ones would fit together and make room for another one and so forth so I had everything memorized then I would come feeling in the dark and find somebody's bundle there so of course naturally I would get exasperated so a lot of unnecessary things going on but that's only natural among people that, that are in close proximity all the time and can't get away with each other it's bound to happen um, why were you, uh, as a Westerner, with um, a lot of experience of the Western ways of life, when you had to, <clears throat> when you had to encounter a Mandli which was simple and uh, inexperienced? Did you ever get exasperated with them, or did you feel uh, like the way the British felt when they were in India? You know, in terms of. Well, I never felt superior to anybody, but I mean, I think it, uh, people exasperating you or not, it all depends on the, your mood. If I, my mood was good, it didn't matter who happened to come along, I would probably let my mood off on them. 
because the thing is that you see Baba brought all these things out in the ashram when I lived out in the world nobody knew I had a temper excepting my family and uh, when I would let off as I say steam on my mother she would remonstrate and I said but you're my mother and if I can't let off steam on you who can I let off steam on but the thing was that in the ashram I was doing it with everybody so-and-so would say or do something you see and even though I had nothing to do with me I would give my opinion on the subject you know I must have been very exasperated <laughs> did Baba finally cure you of uh, your flying temper Baba didn't cure me in the sense that Baba always made you see and try to do it yourself and when I started hearing myself then then things started getting better the Baba wouldn't go out of his way to say, look, you're in a bad temper, now I want you to change your temper. And he brought all this to the surface. It's just like, like when you're making jam and all that froth comes on the top. But instead of Baba removing the froth, he made you remove the froth. So then they're all that clear. Could you explain this in a, in a more methodical way? That if you had some bad habits, how did Baba work on them? Like, for instance, in your case, it was temper. He made you conscious of them. I wasn't conscious of my temper at the time. And he helped you analyze them? Well, I suppose uh, inwardly, yes, not outwardly. Not outwardly. Papa used to, as I say, make these things come out, to the, bring them to the surface. And when you suddenly were face to face with this and, and began to see and hear yourself, well, then it was pretty awful. You had to do something about it. In continuation of this question, uh, you had an affluent upbringing in New York with your family yeah. and uh, you were suddenly thrown into a very, or rather by choice, you came into a very simple kind of existence in the ashram where you have to give up, where you had to give up all your, um, all the luxuries that had been accumulated. Baba broke us in very gently, you know, in Nasik, he called Nasik the luxury ashram. I mean, all the comforts that we had been used to in the West, uh, with service and hot and cold running water and this, that, and the other. I mean, as I say, Baba called it the luxury ashram. And he said, I'll be taking this away from you, some of you, little by little. And that's exactly what he did, because when having had all this comfort there at Nasik, then when we came to Meribad, for instance, I arrived in Meribad and uh, all I had in the corner of that big east room, no west room, uh, was a spring bed, a bench, and a piece of mirror. And uh, I got quite used to, I uh, hung a string up where I could hang some clothes, and I got quite used to, and so were the others. There was Kitty and there was Norina. And, uh, we made do very comfortably. We were quite happy, not encumbered with anything in the room. And then when Baba closed up the Nasik Ashram, then all that furniture was brought to Meribad. And so having gotten used to nothing, Baba said, now make use of it. So again, all this furniture, all this comfort of beds and box springs and chairs and desks and cupboards and all these things, well, on our chests, and we kept saying to Baba, we don't want them. We're, we're happier without them. That's the first time that I ever heard Baba mention the fact that, you know, he would expect to be 
You're an artist, Rano. Did Baba actively encourage you with your art and give you specific directions? People tell me that I'm an artist, and maybe up to a point I am, but uh, I feel that I only became an artist because I was going to have to do work for Baba. I never had any interest in actively doing anything myself, though I was interested in history of art and had a course in history of art in school as well as architecture. Did you have any formal training in terms of, of learning it from a great artist? Oh, no, I went to art school. But uh, that also I was coerced into doing. Because when I finished uh, school, I didn't go to college. My idea of college was to have a good time, and I decided there was no going <laughs> going there if I was going to flunk out. And uh, I always, when I look back, realized that there was a reason I was going to have to learn to paint for Baba, but at the time, of course, I didn't know. And uh, I worked with a decorator who seemed to think I had artistic ability. And she is the one who eventually uh, insisted that I should go to art school and develop that ability. And I thought it was rather silly, but as I was at loose ends at the time, I said, all right, I'll sign up. And then I found I couldn't draw. And I said, this is ridiculous. So Nani said, well, I mean, now we've signed up, at least see the term through. And if at the end of the term you can't still draw, that means you can't draw. Well, I said, all right. But by the end of the term, I was getting excellent and very good written on my all my drawings by the superintendent of the school. So I went through, it was a commercial school. I went through complete training of elementary work, absolutely from scratch to advanced work, took exams, and then specialized in interior designing. Then after that, I studied with a friend of mine who was a painter, and a very good painter, doing oils. Then for a while, I went to the sculptor just to get the form, because all I had been doing was design. Then, before I'd made any much headway there, I started traveling. And so I used to paint a little bit on my own. What was your medium? Well, at the time, during the whole uh, school period and design period, I was doing watercolors. And after I finished the school, I worked in a rug company doing rug designs, which was also watercolors, and very fine detail work. So that's why when uh, I asked my friend to teach me, his work was in oils. And I wanted to get away from that tiny detailed work I was doing. So he suggested that I should try and do something on a wall that had big space, do things in big strokes. So I said, well, I scarcely want to spoil the walls of the apartment, but there was some area above the tiling in the bathroom, so I'll, see, <laughs> I'll, I'll paint there. And in one bathroom, I painted these exotic birds. They were very beautiful, but unfortunately, they were full of detail. And here was this 12-inch long brush which I was holding up close and doing, putting all the little feathers in. I just couldn't get away. He thought I was doing it on purpose. I said, no, I've done so much fine detail work now, I can't get away from it. Did you, uh, you drew mainly portraits of Baba. So that was later. Did you have any uh, training in as a portraitist? 
I mean, that's why when I see some of my drawings, they amaze me. And I say, it's just because it's Baba guiding me. And uh, I know that the days that the drawing doesn't work out the way I want it to, and I can't make any headway with it, is that I haven't been thinking about Baba enough. And secondly, or maybe Baba just decided that day to take the day off. <laughs> but uh, I'd never, you see, my whole uh, training in painting was design. In how many hours do you complete one portrait of Baba? Well, it's sort of hard to say. See, I only have the weekends to work, so I may... I, I'm referring to the days when Baba was in the body. Oh, but then, then I wasn't doing those small drawings like I do now. Those pencil sketches, head studies of Baba, I only started doing after Baba dropped the body. You did a number of portraits yeah, uh, during the ocean. I did one small oil, but I have no idea now how long it took. But when you're with Baba, you take a moment here and a moment there to do Did Baba ever give you a sitting? No, and, and I don't think I could have done anything with it if he had. Uh, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't ask because I knew he would say no. But on the other hand, I realized that I couldn't have uh, accomplished anything. Uh, Baba's face, the expressions changed so continually that you might look at him and want to catch that expression on paper, and when you look back at Baba, the expression is something else. It would be very frustrating. I don't think anybody could really do justice to Baba if, they, if he posed for them, unless you were one of these people that was a lightning sketcher. Did Baba encourage you actively to paint his portraits, or did he encourage you to paint something else? Actually, there's only one portrait in which he actually asked me to paint, and that is the one of Baba in the Sadra in the uh, Mandalis Hall at Maribad, lower, lower Maribad. And Baba had told me, after we'd come back from Bangalore, we were in Maribad, and Baba said he wanted me to do a particular pose, an oil painting of him, uh, which was going to be taken in procession in some mela. So uh, Bob insisted I do it on a certain piece of plywood which he produced. And I said, Bob, let me get canvas and uh, do a really proper painting. And he said, no, no, you must do it on this plywood. So it's very difficult, you know, to paint on plywood. You never know afterwards that little bits of plywood crack and all that. Anyway, I did the best I could and uh, Baba said he was pleased with it. So the, as it was for Baba and the important thing was to please Baba, then it made me very happy. But uh, I found out that what really gives it importance is the use that Baba put to it afterwards. I was told that prior to the new life, <coughs> Baba assembled in the hall. I believe he used to bring out the painting sometimes, I'm not sure. But particularly this time before the new life, Baba was with the mandli in the hall, and uh, the different mandli had to say the different prayers, like the English, Gujarati, Hindi, and so forth, uh, before the painting. And after that, Baba himself bowed before the painting. So I said, that in itself is what very significant. To the painting. Did Baba uh, talk about 
uh, art and its role in um, developing one's spiritual oneself spiritually. No, not not with me. Whenever Baba would do, whenever I had to do anything for Baba, he would outline what he wanted, and uh, would never give any explanation excepting to say either the thing was right or it was wrong. And uh, like for the divine theme, I mean, he gave me all that the explanation which just goes with the divine theme, but would not explain anything to me. I mean, an example of that is when I was working on the Ten Circles chart, and I had a rather difficult bits to do. And uh, so, not from curiosity, but really for wanting to know so that I could do something better for Baba, I would ask him to give me an explanation. So the first time Baba looked very stern and dictated on the board, do as I say and don't ask questions. All right, so I did my best. Sometime later, second time, I attempted to ask Baba. He said the same thing. The third time I attempted, still the same answer. So I figured, well, this is the way Baba wants it, all right. So I never asked any questions after that. Because uh, he obviously didn't want me to. Do as I say and don't ask questions as the final. In the, I was particularly interested in the chart uh, which appeared in the God Speaks, the colored one. Uh, did you have uh, specific instructions from Baba on how to execute it? No, the interesting part is that uh, it was Ivy Deuce who really sort of, might say, planted the seed when she wrote a letter to Money once saying, wouldn't it be nice if Ronald did. Uh, a chart of God Speaks, I heard much later that what she really had in mind was something for children, but she didn't mention that in her letter. And if she had said that, I would have put it out of my mind completely because I can't draw for children. And, uh, but it was just that. Wouldn't it be interesting if Rano could do a chart of God Speaks? So that thing started gnawing in my mind, but I knew that I would never have time with Baba there to sit down and formulate ideas or anything. But then when I <coughs> heard that Baba was going to that short time to the West in 56, I thought, well, uh, while Baba's not here, I'll attempt to put down my ideas and we'll see what happens after that. But naturally, I asked Baba's permission. So I said to Baba, this is how it's happened and I would like to try to make this chart. And so Baba said, yes, go ahead. Well, Baba, I think I can do the, you know, evolution and reincarnation, but what happens on the planes? Thought I'd get a little inside information. <laughs> and Baba just looked at me and laughed and said, do your best. So I did my best. And uh, I had a rough sketch ready when I came back, when Baba came back. And, uh, and, uh, so uh, he called the monthly ones, and uh, they came to, and they looked at the rough draft. And uh, Baba made one or two changes in the wording. And uh, then he uh, also suggested that uh, at that time I'd only put one person on each plane. And uh, he said that it should be 
better if I put more people on the plane. So as far as the roses and the sweet scents on the first plane and the lights and all that in the third and the sounds and the colors and the sweet smells of the third plane, I made no comment about it. And then the fourth plane, I had the man using his powers and his lips tempting him to use his powers. And the only two, only two uh, planes in which I put only a single figure was on the fifth, where he feels God, and on the sixth plane where he sees God. I thought it was more emphasis having the one figure. So, Baba said, you go ahead, you can make it fair. So at that time, my room wasn't very light, so I used to be out on the veranda that we were, were staying in Satara then, and we had a nice long veranda. And Baba used to, this was before Baba's accident, second accident. And he used to walk up and down very fast on that veranda. It was about as long as the Meribad in the veranda. And uh, then Baba suddenly, you know, seemed to become conscious of the fact that I was drawing there on the table. So he used to come after that every day, just look for a little bit and watch what I was doing and smile approval and encouragement. And uh, the only thing that he made the suggestion about was the color for the, the young man who is the aspirant and turning towards the plains. He said this shirt should be, I think, that greenish color and that pants are sort of coppery brown color. Otherwise, all the coloring he left to me. Only the, he gave me the title and all the wording that's on the uh, chart. Including the key? Uh, the no, that's, you mean that? That's from the, that's from, the, that's from God's speak. Yes. And uh, then when I finished, he told me to send it to Ivy Deuce. Uh It's interesting. You mentioned that uh, it would be interesting to have it as a children's book, or it, it was intended as a children's book. Do you it still was, feel it? It wasn't. It wasn't, actually. It was later I heard, when I had done it, then she, when she saw it, then she wrote money, uh, I think she must have written money, saying that what she really had in mind was something for children. And I told money, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have even started. Do you think it's a good idea for children? Well, I, I suppose you could do it in a simplified form. Uh, this isn't especially. But people have, grown people have said they've gained much from it, seeing it. So I'm surprised, but then I shouldn't be, after all, if Bob is behind anything like that, then the price doesn't enter into it. Uh, a little something about the charts you prepared for Baba's unpublished book. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, uh, when I came to Nasik in 1937, uh, I happened to bring my paints with me, though I really in my mind was convinced that my painting days were over. Now I'd come to Baba and live with Baba. I had no idea what Baba had in store for me. And I had only just got myself settled down there in Nasik and they unpacked and everything. And Baba sent for me and said, now you're going to have to do this chart. And I was a bit floored. And he told me that dimensions, I should get canvas and uh, oils and so forth. And I said, well, I have some oils, but canvas, I got somebody to give me some name of a good reliable place here in Bombay. Because I had to stretch a canvas that's five feet by eight feet. 
And besides that, beforehand, I was going to have to make rough drawings for Baba. Now, Baba's idea first was that whatever he gave me, say it's a lion or it's a particular bird or whatever it is, anything, I should do it in color. So I explained to Baba, because Baba didn't mind you giving a reason, but if he still wanted to go on, then you did it. But uh, I told Baba that supposing he didn't like the color, but he liked the drawing. Well, I said, in the watercolor, I can't change it. It'll just go muddy. <coughs> or vice versa, if he liked the color and didn't like the drawing, I would have to do the whole thing over again. So I suggested that I just do black and white sketches. And if he approved of them, then I could transfer them to the canvas. And on the canvas, oils, you can always paint over if you don't like the color. So Baba agreed to that. So all my sketches were done first. And... Uh, Thing was given to me by Baba. How was your sketch done in the sense uh, like okay. you made you made several temples or mosques like objects on the sides of the painting. Uh, now how did Baba express it? That is all taken from three little contact photos that were of some mandirs that were built for Baba here in India. Where I don't know. Mandirs built for Baba? They're all they're, they're too small to go into, and uh, still look sort of fairly big, but not 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 full size for a person to go into. Oh, they were symbolical temples, kind of thing. But they must have been a certain so many feet high. I don't know because you see, naturally I couldn't ask questions, but I wouldn't answer them. And then when I had to reproduce these little mandirs. Baba took my uh, the, those contact pictures back. Did you so get I a? I had no record of it. Did you get a peek into the unpublished book? You've never seen it. That manuscript. No, only heard about it. Right. Um, going back. And those that Mandir, everybody thinks that I, how many temples you've put on the canvas, but. They're all the same one, same three. They're, they're three different designs. Of the same temple? No, three different little temples. So the three different designs in each temple is a different design. But they all look different because Baba would say, you fill this space here and you fill this space here. Sometimes two or three little temples, sometimes three temples, sometimes only one temple. So according to what Baba's directions were and according to the space that it occupied, I would then draw these temples. So their shape sometimes is squat, sometimes it's high, sometimes it's broad. So they look like so many different temples. Did you finally put them on canvas in color, except this one? Which one? Just one, but there were several sketches you made. There, there was only one diagram of the whole thing? As I say, every pl every every area that I filled, the drawing was different. Yeah. Mm. Right. Depending on the space it was, some were now small space, sometimes it was a large space. But they were all, all they were always changing in in their apparent look of structure. So people think they're and I gave them different colors of marble or plaster things. So everybody thinks that there are so many temples filling the the canvas, That's and right. well, actually it's only three. Going back to your stay with the monthly at Mirazad, 
if you could uh, briefly or roughly tell me your daily routine. It was sort of difficult to tell my daily routine because it varied so. I mean, uh, in, in uh, Maribad, my t time was entirely occupied with painting. So many hours in the morning, so many hours in the afternoon, and, and there I used to be sort of jack of all trade, and you might say up to a point I was also, uh, you know, a handyman around on the women's side. You were a kind of a resident artist at Mirazad, uh in terms of, uh, no, in terms of um, for any charts or things that Baba needed well, for yes, his book. If, if, uh, if Baba wanted any particular chart, he would call me and say, so give me a uh, rough idea of what he wanted, and then I would draw it. But that would not be all the time. When we were there at Merizad, I mean, it just at that time I was doing, wasn't doing very many charts. All the charts in the God Speaks are done by you? No. Some were done by money. What about the charts in the book Divine Theme? Oh, the Divine Theme, those, uh, you mean that little booklet? Those two were done by me. And those were then put in uh, God Speaks. God Speaks. Mm -hmm. Uh, besi besides uh, drawing, painting, drawing, ch doing charts, what were the other major jobs you did at the ashram? <laughs> Sometimes I'd read to Baba, and uh, and uh, I don't know. It's it's sort of difficult to say. Whatever Baba would call on me to do. I can't, I mean, I had no actually specified job. Like during the day, you were always doing something that Baba asked you to do, or did no. you do things on your own? There were also things I did on my own. And occasionally, like for Baba's birthday, then I would do a uh, symbolic, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, drawing of Baba with some background for his birthday that I would do quietly on the side when Baba, I knew Baba would be calling me because otherwise, uh, somehow or other, I don't know whether Baba just didn't want me to do anything except when I was just doing things for him. But whenever he would get the sketches for his birthday, he was always very pleased, showed his pleasure. And of course, uh, Katie was reminding me that some people weren't well. But uh, that's actually when, uh, Gavea was with us, and there was no need, but in the actual ashram days, then I had to, nobody used to see the doctor, and I had to report to him and tell him people's different complaints. Within, within the Monday? Yeah. Dr. Nilo used to have to be look after the women on, the, on uh, Meribad Hill. So as such, uh, you, as a member of the Women's Monday, never had to lead a secluded life in terms of not meeting men or talking to them? No, I was just sort of, Kitty and I were go-betweens. If Baba had messages to send to the Mandali, he would send either of us. Uh, and we would go, maybe on the Mandali side, for work, not for chit-chatting. Did you feel that during the, uh, your travels with Baba, or during your meeting people, uh, your presence or the presence of other Westerners inhibited Indians around you? Hardly. I was just one of them there, so I mean, I don't think that I was in, uh, inhibited them in any way. In what way would I inhibit them? 
where we leave it at that. In this, in this context, uh, you might like to describe a little bit of your uh, stay at the ashram at Nasik. And uh, because those were your early days, how did you feel about it? Well, Baba really kept one so busy there. He, there, there we had actual, each one of us, an individual timetable. Hmm. Uh, you do such and so from this hour to this hour, and then especially because I had started the chart, so most of my time was occupied with that. And then uh, I had to do, uh, we had to learn Urdu with Ranju. And uh, then later on, Didi and I were, had to have ballet lessons from Margaret <laughs> for Baba's, whatever Baba's work was. He said, do it for me. So I said, all right. And uh, only I asked, please, not that anybody in the ashram should be present while we're having this ballet lesson. And uh, then we had to meditate at that time. And we were never allowed to uh, rest in the afternoon. So when the meditation time came, of course, it was my one time to relax and sit down. So invariably, I would find myself nodding. And one time I was caught by Baba. What is this? You put my picture at the end and concentrate on it. So that way, the time went by. Each one had their own orders and their own uh, duties. And then about oh, every 10 days or so, we would go from Nasik to Merabad and spend the day and then uh, come with back Barbara. with Baba and the women. <coughs> uh, I know the very first time we went up the hill, met Mera and all the other women. And uh, that same evening then we come back to Nashik. And uh, shortly after that, then Baba came. What Baba used to do was he'd spend about Ten days in uh, Merabad, then via Rahuri, she is Mas, and then come to Nasik, be with us for about a week or ten days, and again that same route via Rahuri back to Merabad. So this is Baba kept up all those months that we were there in Nasik. During your days with Baba, the ten days that you were with Baba, um, what was your activity? Well, we were, we had to carry on our, our work, whatever our outline was. But then every now and then Baba would call us and uh, Baba would give uh, uh, just discourses, uh, especially because there was Malcolm there and there was Jean and there was Norina and uh, Nadine and all these people sort of, you know, hankered for that sort of thing. And a number of them would sit and take notes and Baba didn't like it a bit. He said, when, when you're here, you should sit and listen to me and look at me and not be sitting there concentrating on your writing. So that's why I'm sure some of the things have gotten a bit garbled because people trying to remember what Baba had said and then writing them down afterwards because he wouldn't allow them at that time to write. Murano, when you came in 1937, I'm sure you were full, with, full of ideas about, about spiritual development no. and God-realization. No. I had no interest in God-realization, didn't know the first thing about it. I was not spiritual in any way. <laughs> I never read spiritual books or 
books about the mystics. I didn't know what a master was, much less a perfect master. And I just came to Baba well, because I loved Baba and wanted to follow him. After all these years, how do you feel? Same. No change. You feel that you're a, a better person and um, what, are, what, what do you think are... If you, have you ever tried to analyze yourself? No, uh, I don't think everything as it comes. I don't analyze. I don't think, oh, if I'd done so and so, Baba would have been more pleased with me. I mean, there's no use in dwelling on these things because you can't do them over again. So just, uh, as Baba said, you know, forget and be happy. I mean, it's the only thing you can do. But one, one thing I wanted to tell you just now is that, like, uh, for instance, that time when Baba uh, had come to Nazik after we'd been on that very first time to Merabad, Baba called us all individually to uh, ask us how we liked meeting the people at Merabad. And uh, so my turn came. And uh, this was all sort of private interview, each one had with Baba. So when my turn came and Baba said, how'd you like it at Merabad? I looked at Baba and I said, it was very nice, Baba, but not for me. I suddenly heard myself. How could I have said such a thing to Baba? What a nerve, you see? And Baba just smiled, changed the subject, and didn't say any more about it. And so as months went by, I completely forgot this incident. Then when we were in Cannes with Baba, and Baba was planning to come back to India, and I knew that he was bringing Narina and uh, uh, Kitty back with him, and uh, I was sort of mooning around the house, I was supposed to be painting on that chart, but I couldn't put my mind to it. And I was thinking, now when am I going to see Baba again? And where is Baba going to send me? Because by that time I was holy Baba, so wherever Baba said you go, I'd go. And still, I didn't, Baba didn't say anything. And naturally, I didn't like to say to Baba, you know, where am I going and what am I doing? So I just let time take care of it, but nevertheless, I was, as I say, mooning. Then one day, Baba called me to the room and uh, in the course of consultation, he said to me, how'd you like to come back to India with me? I looked at him and said, oh, would I? And he was very happy, embraced me. And also, he said, well, supposing Nani, supposing Nani objects. I said, this time Nani has no say. Well, that pleased him also. And uh, so, Shortly after that, I left the room. And suddenly, I remembered those words I'd said so many months or so, not for me. That had completely gone out of my mind. And as I say, I never even gave it another thought because, I mean, I wouldn't retract. I mean, once Bob, I'd said... Why do you think you uttered those words after I having visited Mirabad? Because, you see, I mean, after all, I'd, I'd, I'd been out in the world and uh, uh no not this one i'd been out in the world and uh done pretty much what i pleased up to a point and here i was saw these people behind a hedge never going out anywhere never seeing anybody excepting those that are there and uh not doing what they wanted and I couldn't picture my life like that. So it just that came out. 
But then after having been with Baba, I became so holy, Baba said, I didn't care about any of these other things. So I, I could wholeheartedly say, I mean, would I? Because I, I mean, I couldn't think of any other place that it would be more wonderful to be than to be with Baba. So then I realized uh, at that time when, I, when it all came back to me that why Baba had smiled and hadn't said anything because he knew what was in store for me, but I didn't. Um, over the years that you've been with Baba, could you give some glimpses of Baba's relationship with the other women monthly in your presence? Uh, I, I can alter the question slightly. You f do you feel that the Nasik period, your stay in the Nasik, was a period of preparation for you to finally come and stay at Mehrabad and be like the other women monthly? I suppose in a way it was, though at the time I don't really think I fully appreciated it. Because you see, when we first came to Nasik uh, and Baba had gathered us there, he made us all uh, promise one day that we would stay five years. We all each had to go up to him, put our hand in his, and promise to stay for five years. But I think it was barely five months. After a few months, Baba sent Garrett off on some pretext. And then later on, uh, Will and Mary weren't well, so they went back. Margaret had to go back to handle her school. Kitty had to go back because Baba had then decided he wanted to go to Cannes and she would have to find villas. So by the time July came, everybody had left excepting Norina, Elizabeth, Nani, myself, and the Ma Jean and Malcolm Schloss. So whether it, you see, everything happened just the way it happened, and I'm not one of these people that sort of, you know, pulls things apart and tries to put them together again. So all right, that Nazic experience happened. When we left India, and I saw the gateway of India and the Indian shore receding, I thought I would never <coughs> see India again. I never dreamt even even thought about coming back to India. And uh, so when these things happen, they just, they, they dovetailed afterwards, but in such a way that it was so natural that there wasn't any anything to think about at the time. So, um, like 1922, Manzil was a period of preparation for the Mandali, uh, for the Eastern Mandali, the Indian Mandali. You feel that uh, the Gnostic phase was a preparation for a more hard and rigorous life in the Mirabad? Well, I suppose if you look back on it, I mean, it must obviously have been, but at the time it didn't register as that because I didn't know there was going to be any other time. I thought, you know, I would go back to the West and Baba would come on his trips to the West like he used to, and that sort of same routine would go on, but that never happened after that. Because the next time Baba went for, to the West was in 34. No, I'm sorry. 
in uh, 52. 34 mm. yeah. had been the last time that he'd gone before we came out to Nancy. Yeah. And uh, so what you ask, I mean, just at that time, I, I mean, I would never have had any idea as to it, whether it was preparation or not a preparation. But you were mentally prepared to live with uh, oh, with these commanders. In fact, we didn't even know what the Gnostic ashram was going to be like. We thought it was going to be a primitive sort of thing because Baba wouldn't give us any information. He told us to bring our bedding. And when we came to Portside, we bought small mirrors and these uh, poofs to sit on in case we might have to sit on the floor. All these odds and ends of things we brought. Baba was so tickled when he heard because he had kept it so quiet as to how he had prepared the ashram and everything. And what I say, we, we, we were prepared for sleeping on the floor if it was necessary. All of you? Yeah, well, at least the few of us that I was with, that we traveled, Marina, Elizabeth, myself, Nani, I, I suppose some of the others also must have felt that way, though I don't think I really talked about it with them. But those of us that I was traveling with, we came with all these different supplies ready to <laughs> accommodate ourselves on the floor. We had bedding rolls in which to sleep and all that sort of thing.